0: All right, fan-fucking-tassy, we're going to do it again. <laughs> I'm going to edit this one so for good. Um... Alrighty, uh, 3, 2, one. Hey everyone, it's Mark here from the Australian DeFi Association and I've got Kat Dunn here as well wearing the t-shirt, the promo. Love it. If you're interested, please let us know because we've got t-shirts. Anyway, um, we're here today because we're talking about what is a bit of a modern renaissance in with regards to crypto and it's been really interesting because you have seen this and you were speaking about it actually a few months ago and I only heard about it more recently, but do you want to tell people about it?
1: Yeah, I actually thought it was um, fascinating that both of us came to this idea independently. A few months ago in March, I was actually invited to speak at an International Women's Day event at the Women's Club. And the theme of International Women's Day was Break the Bias. And I remember constructing my... Talk around this idea of the modern Renaissance as it relates to decentralized technologies and their impact on changing the human operating system. But I'm really fascinated before we go into that how you came across it and what and and I guess the touch points mm. that inspired you to mm. become interested in yeah. this.
0: Well, I mean, it was listening to The Bankless. Uh, They've got a podcast, which if you don't listen to, you really should. Um, They've got amazing guests and amazing ideas over there. And what they were talking about was like, it just had the word renaissance on the, the show and... I thought, well, what are they talking about here? So when I listened to it, they explored how the modern renaissance that we're going through with crypto is very similar to what happened in the past. So in the past, um, we were living somewhat in the Dark Ages. There's people just living on farms. It's a very kind of agri kind of lifestyle. You don't explore much. There's not much freedom. Um, You're ruled by monarchs the kings and the queens and stuff and you you don't really get to do much there's not much freedom but then with certain things for example like the invention of the double entry bookkeeping ledger, we've heard of ledgers, we're going through ledger stuff now, but that coupled with um, the printing press and how that that was able to make uh, communication more permissionless because before you had to actually be rich with resources and know how to write and do all that kind of stuff, but you didn't need that anymore. And so the idea around the print, and it wasn't available widely you still had to have people that knew how to do stuff with like, they still needed the equipment, but it was more available than it had been before. So if you think about it before with everything centralized, it was the state and church. It was the monarchs and monasteries that controlled with their access to information and their access to power and military and all that. And with the printing press and the ledgers, you had people like the, the Medici family that were able to sponsor art and science. And because of that, it led to these ideas, this enlightenment and what we see now is like the modern era. And there's all of these things about, you know, being centralised and being permissioned that they were overcoming and they did in certain ways. And it feels like it's paralleled with what's going on right now. So the fact that you've done this kind of talk, I think, is there's, there's, if there ever was a sign, this is a sign. So can you yeah, tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean,
1: it's certainly in the field. And um, I, I love your... Uh, approach to it because you're talking about uh, going from centralised systems to decentralised systems and you talk about um, innovations creating new access for more people and reach and where we parallel is um, in the recognition that the Renaissance at the time between the 14th to the 17th century, people debate when it actually was in terms of a period. But it signalled the movement from the medieval era mm. to the modern era. And why I was really interested in this as a concept was um, in describing or exploring this idea of breaking the bias, I really explored um, the the shift or the wish of the people and societies to move from humiliating operating systems to dignified operating systems. Right. And what I mean by that is, and if I can go into my background, yeah, which yeah. Um, kind of gave me a firsthand experience of this just anecdotally, working across corporate law, funds management, traditional institutions, and then moving into humanitarian poverty alleviation career, the reason that I felt quite... Disgruntled in that traditional corporate space was. I noticed that um, the system really seemed to. And uh, you know, I'm not going to go into the bells and whistles of it, but I really noticed that there were incentives and attitudes in those systems that rewarded a couple of things. Mm. Um, it rewarded the the it rewarded profit making and bringing in money above all else. And what the impact of that from an incentive and a cultural perspective is that those who have money and bring in money are valued above those who yeah. don't have that capacity. So, shared services or operational staff are um, treated in organizations with less dignity than those who are, say, the salespeople or in the profit making centers, right? Or the, they're called called—they're even called that degrading term, the cost center, yeah. rather than a profit center, exactly. which is it's fascinating. Still to this it's day. a cost center. Yeah, yeah. And so, I was thinking about the impact that having. Um, Um, having that lack of value or at worst being devalued has on people and what it does is it's humiliating. And what you find with people who are humiliated is they become enraged. And if you think about the attitude and norms um, that can create disengagement, disillusionment, dissatisfaction, anger in one corporate or institution, imagine the impact of that system. Which is, by the way, the norm across the whole society. And you know what impact that had? Well, one of the parallels we see now uh, is what happened in the recent Australian election on Saturday, where there was a massive swing against both the major parties towards independence. And so that's um, individual citizens crying out for a different way of interfacing with power and they're yearning for a different process of politics.
0: It's like they want better.
1: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so what's, you know, when I think about distributed ledger technology, blockchain, open source systems, and the inherent civic mindedness of the Web3 space, this really came about from a yearning of individuals Mm -hmm. who wanted to create a more egalitarian, decentralized, equal open source way of transacting and communicating for humanity across global borderless systems. And when I think about decentralised finance or NFTs, what you're seeing now with NFTs is actually a massive (laughs) both- popular and very unpopular political movement it's the confluence and convergence and acceleration of not just art technology science but political power culture it's creating unique and different money flows towards people who are previously disenfranchised e.g artists and so it's opening up a new a modern renaissance right
0: yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people just think of the NFTs as just the, oh, it's just artworks. Like, why would I pay for a JPEG and all that kind of stuff? And there's more to it. There's some messaging. Like, we, we have memes. We have meme culture. And we think that we're the ones that invented it more recently. No, there were memes back in the, the those medieval, or sorry, the, the Renaissance kind of periods because Martin Luther nailing his propositions against the church to the door and the creation of even memes back then. You should watch the Bankless episode because there's things like carvings in copper of bishops in degrading kind of positions. And it's like the, the humour that they had and how they shared it. They used the technology available at the time to send the message, message that they're not happy with the current ecosystem and how can we make this better and it didn't matter if you couldn't read you could see the picture the message got across and it's just really interesting with the meme culture that's out there and how that you know there is more underneath the surface of a picture
1: Well, when you're talking about meme culture and how we uh, have mistakenly assume that this is a new innovation or a new phenomena but actually it happened back in the day when you think about something like the gig economy or the sharing economy and we're talking about peer-to-peer transactions and decentralized transactions it seems as if because of this new technology this is a new phenomena but actually it's just a throwback to the ottoman era where you had bazaars and merchants and individual entrepreneurs trading between each other not through a mercantile corporation or through some other centralised institution, but directly peer-to-peer, which is what we're seeing today.
0: Um, it is amazing how much parallels there are. And I think we've got much more to unpack with all of this. But Kat, thank you very much for your time. Watch out for more of these snippets. I think now that we've got the equipment and the, you know we're seeing more of the people in our group, uh, we're definitely going to be doing much more of these like, little snippets and stuff. So stay tuned.
1: And if you have any ideas to add to our modern Renaissance conversation, keep them coming.
0: Please add. Okay, cheers. Bye.